you know, and it's my view, and people will probably have different views, but my view of the world is no longer about just being on a soapbox and shouting. And I think the dangers of all this freedom of digital communication of unregulated media and all these different ways of things, people can just do what they want. But that sometimes the propensity for brands to think, let's just shout a bit more. Let's just get up and throw more stuff out there. And it's like, yeah, but no one's liking it. You're listening to the Client Catching Podcast, the show that uncovers how high-performing service-based business leaders are successfully navigating the ocean of complexity around growing their business. Now, as anyone with the talent and guts to start a business knows, it takes a lot more to grow one than just being great at what you do, and you can't do it alone. So this podcast will show you how other captains of their own ship, just like you, have found the right strategy to catch more clients, simplified everything, and transform their business. So if you're ready to do the same, then jump aboard and join me, Adam King, host and the captain at Think Like a Fish, and let's go fishing. Wanted to let you know about something I've just released. It's called A Quietly Powerful Guide for Professional Introverts and Curious Extroverts. How to Stand Out and Attract Clients in a World of Extroverts and Selfies. Now that is available on the listener bonus page, which is thinklikeafish.co.uk slash podcast gift. There's also a bonus video walkthrough of the guide itself that you can watch if reading isn't your thing, uh, which you'll, you, you'll get access to after you've, um, you've, you've got your copy. So take a look at that and let me know what you think. But before you do that, let's get back to today's guest. Hello and welcome to the Client Catching Podcast. Now I'm sure you don't need me to tell you that it's a pretty noisy world and there's, there's tons of businesses out there going after the same clients that you are and all of us are being bombarded with so much stuff, so much communication, so much marketing, so much advertising that really we have to tune out simply to stay sane. So it's actually getting harder for businesses to break through that noise and avoid being what I say lost on an ocean of obscurity. Now, unless, of course, you can craft a message that your ideal clients really, really resonate with and then communicate that message in a way that gets the attention, but it builds trust and it attracts clients while your competition stays lost in that noise. Now, that's exactly what my guest today helps you do. He's a communication specialist with a 23-year track record of helping businesses reshape their communication strategies in a way that impacts your clients and your bottom line. He's a former senior managing director of an international communications agency. He's advised more than 200 businesses across multiple industry sectors. And today he's the founder of Elephant Communications. And that's a new kind of communications consultancy that takes an evidence-based approach to PR and communication that's backed up by market insight. And as he's been, I've seen that he's been described as always bringing, brimming with ideas, with an intellect as bright as the shirts that he wears. <laughs> I'm really, really looking forward to seeing where our conversation goes today. So I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Guy Bellamy to the Client Catching Podcast. Good to be with you. Thanks for having me. And that's, uh, that's a billing I'm going to struggle to live up to this morning. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, let's first deal with the elephant in the room, pun completely intended. And that is, what's the shirts all about? It was, I don't know, it was, it goes actually back to when I worked in London and I, I, I worked for a big international consultancy for many years and um, I worked at NatWest before that actually and I remember when I made, I remember when I made the move to agency life, I think I was, I think I was about 28 and there were lots of very obvious agencies for me to go head towards because I was kind of financial services, B2C, no, fluffy PR, as you might call it, the consumer side. And there's this agency, which was a city agency, at the time quite a small city agency, that was looking to do a little bit of financial services B2C. So there was, I remember when I was given, when I had my job office, I had a very obvious opportunity to be a small cog in a big established consumer agency or go to this small city agency that didn't do what I did. And the, you know, the upside was make something create something and go with it. So and I had a great time. I had a great time in that firm for 15, 15 or so years, made a major contribution to it, which I was proud to do. But the thing that was funny is, is my team there was always a, a kind of, you know, creative outpost of what, what was a very corporate business. So I, I guess we started to express our creative difference by a number of ways. And I just started wearing these Duchamp shirts, which were these just outrageous deck chair shirts. And, I just got very bored with, you know, blue and white check shirts and grey suits. And 
so I became known as the guy that wore these crazy shirts. And, and then, it, then it was funny because when, when I set my own firm out about seven or so years ago, I, I kind of thought, and I had a little break and I thought when I did it, right, the shirts are going. So I'm actually fed up with wearing deck shirts. I'm going <laughs> to wear some white shirts or blue shirts. And I remember my first client meeting. Now, people who weren't previously part, the people who had known me on my journey, they kind of knew me and they said, what's wrong with you? So what do you mean? So the shirts, what are you wearing those boring shirts for? So I do still occasionally wear them, but it's, it's funny how, you know, unbeknowingly you, you get a, you get a, you get a stereotype put on you. <laughs> so the shirts are actually nothing to do with it now. Shirts are nothing to do with it. It's a funny, it's a funny thing. Well, what's interesting about that is, as you say, that it is all tied into a communication. And I don't know if you've, uh, there's a, there's a book um, called Talk Triggers. Right. Um, I think it's by a guy called Jay Bear. And what he talks about is people need to have something that's different about you to talk about. Yeah. So you can communicate and he uses examples of um, things like one of the Hilton um, brands of hotels that give cookies and it's giving away those cookies that have made them multiple millions because people talk about that experience. The author himself, I saw him speak, he turns up in um, a particular type of um, attire. So it's, it's suit with our ties. And he did the same thing, turned up somewhere and the audience went, well, hang on, where's your tie? That kind of thing. And it's, it's a very, very interesting thing. And it's, it's kind of communication without saying anything. Yeah. And it's something that you get known and spoken for, about, <laughs> or at least remembered for. So that when you forget, you know, when you don't do it, people go, well, hang on, is this who you are? You know, who, you know, who is this person? That kind of thing. So it's, it's actually interesting. Um, yeah, it's, it's a really interesting real life example of exactly that. Yeah, and, there is more to me than shirts, I have to say. Being of a certain age, my body is no longer a temple. But I remember when the shirt thing happened, there were two things for me. And this goes back, people of a certain age will remember that time in London where almost overnight everyone stopped wearing ties. But I always hated wearing ties. So my strategy was wear a shirt you can't wear a tie with. Um, and I think the other thing, and, and again, I often make, still today, make this link with clients who are small businesses and about the fact they're still people, they're still dads, they're still mums and the stuff is, you know, I, I never liked the idea of, because I was going to work, I had to wear grey suits, you know, basically chuck my creativity in my brain at the porch when I left the house and go to work looking like an accountant, nothing against accountants, but it's like, why can't you just slightly express your personality or your way to work? Because you should enjoy going to work and enjoy what you create. And it's very hard being creative if you're wearing a grey suit and a pale blue shirt and uh, sitting in, a, in an office that could be a call centre. You know, you've got oh, to... And again, it's, it's, it's all about that communication, isn't it? Because yeah. you communicate something about yourself in, in all sorts of different ways. And maybe it's the the clothes that you wear maybe it's the the way that you speak and all that sort of stuff yeah but you cannot be someone that you're not and and really attract the kind of people that you want to work with you'll just attract the kind of people that maybe are not a good fit for you because good communication is all i guess you know, it's like good marketing it's as much as repelling the type of people that you don't want to work with as it is attracting the ones that you do and it's it's a really great example of um yeah, how to how to do that in a in a kind of everyday. Yeah, it's being it's being natural, I and mean, I don't, I, you know, I don't want the take out of this to be. <laughs> my colleagues hear this to be coming to work brisk with teletubbies. <laughs> I mean, there is a line. There is a line, absolutely. Line. But I think, but I think it's about, and, and you know, more recent years having been lucky enough to work with a number of really enlightened tech and. Um, firms that embrace inclusion and diversity and very modern values and the modern ways of working like we're having a Zoom today. I think as we all get more comfortable with people working in environments and in capacities and also dressing, but I mean, all these things, being comfortable who they are at work, then you're much more likely to be at your best. And that's all that matters. That sort of tangent has taken us to somewhere. I actually didn't expect it to go, but it's very interesting. So what I want to do is bring it back to actually around the whole issue you know yeah. around the whole subject of communication and specifically the what you guys do at elephant communications but how that has evolved into what it is today and and just sort of that that background of that journey or your story of how you've got there 
I think the thing for me is interesting. One of the most exciting and daunting things, actually, of setting a business up, because I, uh, I'd always been entrepreneurial in my employed, employed life, and I, I guess there was always something in the back of my mind that thought, you know, I would regret, you know, not being morbid, being on my deathbed and thinking I hadn't tried, hadn't given it a go. And I thought, let's give it a go. And actually, one of the exciting things and having was actually, I remember sitting in my garden with literally a blank piece of A3 paper. And I think it was one of my daughter's Sharpies and thinking, right, an opportunity to create the agency that I always would have wanted to have worked for or had as a client, but never existed. And that's actually really empowering. It's quite scary, but it's, and that's the first for all the downsides of running your own business, which any small business only would be aware of, that the empowering thing of, of doing something on your terms is enormously empowering. And what I wanted to do, and it was funny, um, I'd been, I had friends who told me ages before, why don't you call your firm Elephant PR, which you'll come on to later, and I thought, no, that's silly. I need to call it something grown up, like Bellamy Associates or something ridiculously gracious and boring. Um, well, think like a fish. That's yeah, a no, yeah, yeah. But, uh, <laughs> what, but what I was thinking of, because this was what, 2012, I was thinking um, the need in the marketplace is actually, there are so many comms firms out there, and PR is a funny word, it means different things to different people and even different agencies interpret differently. But actually there is, for me, it's like for all the oversupply of firms and consultants out there, there's a lot of people doing the same thing. And for me, the thing I was sensing was that the real issue for businesses of a lot of shapes and sizes and a lot of sectors was actually we were living through an unprecedented period of uncertainty. A lot of people, a lot of consumers were asking questions about the way and the ethics and the way businesses are run. A lot of businesses were worrying about whether they're even going to grow. Um, and in this proliferation of media, there was a whole thing about how do you cut through when it's just noise on all levels. And, and my whole thing, the elephant in the room, was actually at a time when a lot of comms people were all talking about digital, because PR people like this week's thing. And everyone's like, oh, let's get a digital team, let's do digital, as though it's some ex a strategy or, or, or a thing in its own right. I thought, well, the elephant in the room, no, it's not about the channel, the elephant in the room is about helping businesses navigate uncertainty and using communications to authentically engage the customers. And, that, and what is required to do that is the opposite of spin. And I grew up in the age of spin in the 90s where, if in doubt, stuck, stick out and sort of a, you know, do a stunt, just create. And you had all these false realities often being created. And I think it gave PR very, sometimes rightly, a bad name. And I felt that the opposite was needed at these times. And we still have this day of stress and uncertainty, which is comms is now more than ever, for me, a boardroom issue, which is about helping clients understand how do they earn respect from their audiences? Very simply, how do they become liked? Because that's the thing I think you can do with comms, that it's harder to do with imposed branding and advertising. How do people, people like you as a personality? And a lot of it is about a lot of it is about truth. A lot of it is about changing your business so you can be liked, you deserve to be liked. And a lot of it for us is about using insight and research to help companies and organizations better understand what their customers think of them or what their audiences think of them and their terms of engagement with the brands. Because the audience, does, the audience absolutely is empowered age. They know why they like things and they don't have to explain themselves. So the choice of businesses is to earn the trust and I always, I always make the analogy, it's like, going to a, it's like going to a drinks party. You know, if you're going to a drinks party and you want to, you know, weave your way into a conversation, a little circle of people having their Cinzanos or whatever they drink, uh, you have to earn your right into that conversation by saying something useful, relevant, connecting, listening, empathizing, and you slowly get the trust and you get welcome into that circle. If you walk into the room with a big sandwich board in saying, we sell great value for money, life insurance, security will probably throw you out. So, and that's the analogy I often give to brands is you've got to earn your place back in people's hearts and you do it by actually listening, by engaging. And actually what we've now created at Elephant is, is, is the most unspun PR I think I've ever done in that we were almost the antidote to it. And a lot of clients we're fortunate to have now 
they often call us in when they've had various cycles of the spin treatment and know it doesn't work. Um, and we come in and we do something very different. So, and I think what we do, our approach is very, it's very objective. It's very evidence-based. We start with a lot of research. We help clients understand where they need to go and how they engage and what they need to sometimes change to earn that trust. And then it's then about doing actually simple communications very well. So in some ways, we're very unrock and roll compared to agencies that have multiple departments and sector teams and stuff. Is actually about cutting to the chase and to hit that bullseye, you've got to have focus. And but the thing that's nice now, you know, as I approach as I approach my late twenties, joking, is more than ever in my career, you know, I go home after a day of work back to my family, and more often than not, I'm very satisfied or proud, not arrogant, but satisfied that you know, in any given day, we have made a difference to help someone do something better. And I think that that is a good reason to go to work. And, you know, that's all about sort of sense of purpose. And it comes back to, I guess, you know, the, the reason why you started and, and, and yeah, it, it's ticked all the boxes in a way, I guess, for your, your reasons for starting. And, you know, thinking about some of the things you've said there, it, it, one of the things that jumps out for me is there's, there's been a power shift in a way in, in, in the way that the economic world works, um, whether it's you know selling services, products, um, you know governments trying to communicate to um, you know voters, all that sort of thing, uh, people sense bullshit. Oh, they can smell so it. No, and they can, they can smell, smell it all the way. Exactly, because they're so informed. It just takes a quick Google to you know find something that goes against the spin maybe that you've been putting out there for, for people to go, well, that's, that's a lie then I can't trust this person. And you know, it's, it's not the sort of, uh, you know, business, um, party, um, product, whatever it is that, that I necessarily want to, uh, associate with. And I do find as well that, especially in the way, um, the world has gone digital when it comes to, to social uh, media and all that sort of thing that ironically we see it as this globalized um, world. Yeah. But actually, it's still all about small communities and how you communicate within those small communities because they are so um, close knit. It's all about finding those communities and engaging in communities. And it isn't about going, to, going back to that rather cruel analogy of going to a drinks party with a big sandwich board on. Um, I mean, what, I, what I sense has happened in the last 20 years is you know when i was again in london the mid 90s early 90s early 2000s doing pr there were lots of spin tactics with press and broadcast media which were then the key media and now the world's kind of massively gone online and social and it just seems that that crew have now gone to new media and they just and that's now full of fake news and stuff but i think i think the principles are the same is you know don't shout at people you know i mean i i've i've done lots of social media campaigns not just for clients, but we also do free stuff helping small businesses. And it's like, you know, I know everyone's into paying for posts now and paid likes and paid adverts. If you're going on Facebook and Twitter and you can't join a conversation, it's that drinks party thing again. And on the, the merit of having something useful to contribute, getting likes and shares and comments, then don't do it because just ignoring that and saying, we sell this and, 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 and spamming people on Facebook ads, it's just going to make people, you know, it's not engaging. And I think one of the things that we say a lot to clients is, you know, talk when you've got something useful to say. Don't think about the volume of what you're shouting. Don't think about sticking stuff everywhere. It's not about, it's not about anymore. And I think this is the paradigm shift with, with, with PR and communications. It's no longer about the generation of coverage or profile. It's about the impact of coverage. So, you know, it isn't just about throwing meaningless press releases or or posts at people or just spamming everyone. It's actually it could just be one piece in the Sunday Times or one clever blog post that's thoughtful, that's relevant, that's engaging, does everything for you. And it's having the confidence to know how do we need to communicate in a way that our audiences would respect be receptive to. Um, and it isn't about the noise machine. And I think we've helped a lot of brand we've helped a lot of brands achieve a lot more by actually doing less and dare I say it, spending a lot less money because it's about doing things well and, and smart. 
Well, that's the opportunity, isn't it, today, that you can get very, very specific and very, very, to use a, uh, an impersonal term, targeted. But it's all about, and I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that is part of the, um, the insight and, and the evidence-based stuff that you guys do. And it's, it's really, it's, it's first, <laughs> it's going back to old principles. It's like you were given two ears and one mouth. So exactly. you're in the and, and it's about listening to what people are saying first to understand the kind of things that are keeping them up at night, um, struggles that they're dealing with, and then crafting a communication that is around what they think or what they're concerned with, and then starting that conversation in whatever way that needs to happen with your communication. And, and it's a two-way thing now as well. Yeah, I remember, I don't know if I should say this, I won't mention the client because I'm not preaching anything, but I remember about... Six or seven years ago, I went to see this financial advisory business who wants to do this campaign on, I think it's annuities or something, or something wildly marvellous, um, which is fair enough. And, and they desperately need, this is before the whole thing went off a cliff or whatever the sector, but, and again, any financial services expert will, will resonate with the fact that, you know, financial products, sometimes, you know, it's all about products and everyone wants to sell best rates or best ices or best this and shouty, shouty, shouty. And we just went into the pitch and we had, because we, we do our own research on a number of things and we share it freely with clients, so it's insight. And we said, well, the elephant in the room, I'm afraid, is in terms of the early 50s, um, 84% of people don't know what annuity is. Uh -huh. I was like, well, you just taught your own language and the financial sector does it all the time. And you need to step back and think, where's the customer? And what do they understand? And what do they, they don't need to care. They live their lives. And you have to start in their room, not in your own goldfish bowl. And in a lot of sectors like retail and financial services and, and, and professional services and, and real estate, there are these, and tech, there are these jargon languages that get used in trade press that everyone in the, in the goldfish bowl understands, everyone in that sector goldfish bowl, and they all speak it. And, and then they, they wonder why they don't resonate more broadly. It's because like, no one else speaks that language. <laughs> and they've fallen in love with their product. Yeah. And they don't have to understand your language. They don't have to care. You have to go to where they are and understand, you know, what they're... So that's what we do with our research. And it's something I... It was one of the first things that Elephant Up was to say we would be insight and evidence-based. So we will not be a consultancy that just is, is opinionated with what we think a client should do and have get the old jelly beans out and have a brainstorm and come up with some harebrained ideas. We would actually do what a proper consultancy should do is research a client and the issues before we even talk to them and actually share knowledge with them in the sense, this is what we found about your sector. Let's talk about it together intelligently rather than pitch, you know? Um, but could you give me an example of how that process might work? Because, I mean, this is very, very sort of close to my uh, my you on, on how things work, um, just with a slightly different spin, looking at the marketing, not specifically the communications. But I want to sort of explain the process you might go into when you're trying to pull some of that evidence-based um, okay. data. Well, we do. One thing we do at Elephant is we do, and it does cost a bit of money, but it's, it's again, it's part of the investment, is we run, I think we run six we have six rolling pieces of research that we do. So we almost have our own published titles that we do. And we've done about probably near two, near to 200 of them now because we've been doing it for six years. So we do, we build up our own data archive. And some of it is using people like YouGov or Maru or Opinion to do research. Sometimes it's focus groups, whatever. Very good qualified research. So we do um, this consumer research on economic outlook and financial health and wellbeing. Um, um, we do research also on brand leadership across 16 sectors about the attributes that make brands tick and work and popular. We do research on media consumption, which for what we do is basic. I'm surprised that I've always been surprised it hasn't been more broadly done by PR, which I actually know how factually how people engage with the media. Um, we do a small business outlook one. We do a thing on fake news. Uh, we've started a new thing on environment and ethics. So we have these different themes. And what we do is every we, we roll them each every quarter and we have different topics and themes. And, and the thing that's engaging for my team, because everyone has to be part of it, is everyone can come up with the themes they want to explore on behalf of clients. And even clients can 
say so we do we do our own things we publish our own research um and the thing that's the benefit of it is it's only available to clients so if you become an elephant client you get free access to it which is quite valuable you can actually 200 titles if you're not a client you can't have access to it and so but it has to be a benefit to clients yeah a tangible benefit um but it also means that if we're going to see a new client or even if during the course of trying to help a client, existing client deal with an issue they may be facing, like Brexit or whatever, house prices, whatever it may be, the odds are now pretty high from the, 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 the sort of the matrix system we've got on our research that we've pretty much always got something we can dig out, like a, like a sort of a jacket off a coat hanging. So we've got something on that. We've got something on discretionary spend during the summer. We've got something on tuition fees. We've got something on um, online newspapers versus print newspapers. So, and what we tend to do, and they're not necessarily complete pieces, but what we can find in a number of things now, we've got two or three jackets. It's like going, going about the shirts again, and start putting, get, choosing an outfit. And we'll say, look, we haven't got the answer, but we've got two or three things. And let's get it out and let's have a look at it. And usually what that does, it prompts a conversation and it encourages not just the client, but us together to then ask. I always think it's about asking the right questions and rather than having the cleverest answers. So that's what we try and do with clients. I think that's interesting because one thing, for example, we found with a client that wants to be a lot more online a few years ago, and they said, so it's not about doing newspapers anymore. It's all about online. It's all about digital. We've even got this square crown of glasses now. We're really getting into the digital space. And I said, that's fine, but let's, let's have a look at these audiences and see how they tell us they follow news. We've got research spanning 20 different types of media. And the thing that came out as interesting is the segments they were after that were most likely to be on LinkedIn Twitter, um, more if you like business and maybe social media, but also those statistically far more likely to read the Sunday newspapers, the FT, the print edition, and also watch Question Time and do a few other things. And it's like, see, these stereotypes, they might be easy, don't always work. And what it actually, and we said, maybe we need to stop thinking about channel and think about the story and then think about presenting it in the channels that they choose to use rather than being tribal. And they said, the question then isn't about whether we should be online or offline. It's about what's the story our audience want to hear. Bingo. And actually, there's nothing more powerful in my book there's nothing more powerful than helping the client ask the right question. You know, and, that, and that's where we try and do it differently. Um, and that's, that's where we build relationships. It's not about saying, we've done a pitch and we will pitch at you lots of things you don't want so we can charge a very big fee and it will be absolutely marvellous. But it's like, why don't we just help the client themselves have the light bulb moment? So in a way, what we are doing, I'm not saying it's like we're a doctor, but if we're helping them ask the right questions so they feel in control and and informed and then actually they're going to value the people that have around them a bit more because they've made the right call. And that's, I think what we try and bring to the party. Um, and that's a very long winded, long winded way of answering the question about research. But I think the thing I've learned from, from, and I still, I still call it PR. I think a lot of PR sites call it strategic, whatever. But I think if you want to be good at PR, you yourself have got to understand how it works with the other bits around it. Like, digital, like marketing, like research, like SEO, so you can understand how it fits in. And as you say, I mean, it doesn't matter the, the, the fancy new tactic, the fancy new channel, the fancy new this, da, 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 da. It ultimately always comes down to the people yeah. and the story that's going to resonate because storytelling has been the thing that has bound us human beings together since before we could probably actually talk a full language, yeah. you, know, this, uh, you know, the cave paintings and all that kind of thing. So it's, it's ingrained in our evolutionary DNA. And that's why it's a principle that doesn't change. But I think because of all these shiny things that are being peppered at us, um, we kind of lose sight on that sometimes. And we just think, well, all I need to do is shout louder because I can get it in front of a lot more people with something like paid advertising. And if I do that enough, the numbers will work out in my favor. Thank you very much. And I don't know. Yeah, I get you. I get you. And you know something I have to say, I'm going to probably be stoned at saying this now, but um, the, the, there are certain things that, you know, probably like yourself, that you, you see going on in your sector, you think, oh, I don't like that. And one of the things that really has 
frequently brought me out in a rash is, is this whole buzzword about storytelling. Uh, and I remember just before I left London, it's like, uh, I'm not a PR person. I'm a, I'm, I'm the chief storyteller. And it's like, it's such a, and it's, it's like, it's the new cool toy for, it's like, I'm, I'm not a creative director anymore. I'm a storyteller. And it's like, really? And it's almost as though it's internally within the marketing fraternity. It's like, which means I'm cleverer than you because a storyteller is now cleverer than a creative. It means I can tell stories. And it's like, yeah, I'm, you know, my four-year-old daughter can tell stories and she likes reading stories. It doesn't mean she's any good at marketing. And <laughs> I should have said that. But, but for me, it's about, again, it's this problem again. It's like it misses the point that the control of the agenda is not with the brand and the marketeer. So almost like by saying I'm a storyteller, it's just the new word for I'm a spin doctor. I will create the artificial reality that you will believe is a full story. And it's like, guys, you're not in charge of the story. The customer's in charge of the story. All of them have stories. All of them have the narrative. All of them set the narrative. All you can do is contribute to it by being useful. Yeah, because there's there's that whole, I can't remember the name of the guy, but it's it's a whole hero's journey story. You know, Star Wars, uh, Harry Potter, all the big movies, they follow that sort of similar arc. And it's it's all about understanding that the customer or the client is the hero in their story. If, any, if you're going to play any part in that, you are simply the, you know, the Obi-Wan or the Yoda. You are the guide that shows up and simply gives them a, a nudge and, and, and shows them on, on that direction, you know, which direction to go. And you're right. I think that whole term of storyteller is some people have just picked it up and, and gone, well, if I can just tell a story about me better then clients and customers will come to me. Whereas actually that's not the whole point. The whole point is understanding the story that your client or customer has going on already in their own head and how you can contribute to them becoming that hero of their own story. Yeah, exactly. Because the fundamental premise with a lot of what I do, and again, some of my team members will sometimes have different views to me, but my whole point is, you know, when it comes to Yes, there's a role for enlightening, for empowering, for brands to go in and lead an agenda, which is sometimes really, really cool. But ultimately, people that are consuming media, they want to read about themselves. They want to watch about themselves. And, and actually, the sad thing, actually, with the whole, you know, democratization of digital channels is and it's the way we shop, where we do things. It's getting more than like that. You go on Amazon to buy what you know, you know, this kind of stuff, nothing wrong with that, but people want to read about who they are. And, and I think with Brexit, we've seen the downside of that, which is tribalism. But, but again, it does underline the fact that as a brand, you are not the story. You're not owning the story. You know, you've got to engage people with what they want to, even if you want to open minds and broaden debates on, let's say we did some quite big work last year on, on the environment uh, um, debate, um, you've got to at least have a, have a docking point, which is where people are, to have a conversation with them. So you've still, even then, got to listen, even if you want to challenge people. Um, but yeah, I kind of think the whole thing about owning the narrative, it's, it's, it's equivalent to the, you know, to the, the brand storyteller doing the Star Wars thing and saying, I'm your father. You're not the father. You're not the father. You're just a, you're just a bit piece, you know? On that, thinking about how a business could take some of those concepts or those ideas, are there almost one, two, three sort of actionable things that somebody could literally take from hearing or having that realization that actually this makes sense? I need to think about changing my narrative to communicate better. Yeah, it, it varies. I mean, every business is different, but I'm not going to duck the question. Uh, I think I think a number of common things I see, um, a lot of businesses, their spending gets out of control because they proliferate by channel. So they do they do it like a marketing lasagna. They start doing print advertising, then do digital click-through, then do press, and none of it's joined up. A lot of agencies aren't joined up because they're incentivized to cross-sell different practices. And... Controversial hashtag discuss. Um, but the first thing for a brand is don't spend too much money. All right. Don't spend too much money because spend can just be added to by doing different things. So the first thing is if you, if you think you're spending more than you should, just cut it right back. Just cut it right back. I'm sure a lot of people would be happy to hear that. Yeah. Like seriously, cut it back. And it isn't, it isn't like, no, cut it right back. And, you know, I mean, we, we have, and it's, it's why we're not based in, you know, 
probably Pall Mall where we've got a nice country office, which is a choice. But um, we often, when we go into a client, the first thing we do is tell them to cut the budget because they're spending too much money. There's no point as a marketeer or a business spending more money than is sustainable to have expectations that are realistically unachievable. It's just a bad place to be. Start low and build up. So a lot of people I'll say scale back. Because it isn't about channel anyway. It's about the stories. It's about the narrative. It's about the engagement. So unless you've got the right stories, you know, you're better off with PR doing one great story a month than you are doing 15 pieces of content. You know, to scale it back and do good and then slowly build out in each great way. The second thing, so that's the first thing is to scale back. In terms of building something, I think the first thing is to be really clear, and this is usually where um, a lot of our starting work starts with, with, with businesses, is be really, it sounds really obvious, mate, but be really clear on, in PR terms, what your business objectives are and understand how PR, if it can, can help any of those objectives. Uh, I would say, looking back at my 20 or so year career in London and now, well, still in London, but not based in London, in 80% of the cases when someone's calling you in to say, oh, our last PR agency were terrible, I, you know, to be very nice about it, I would say in many cases they probably weren't terrible, but your objectives either didn't exist or they were hopeless. And, you know, if you're not clear on what you want to achieve and if whether it is achievable and whether, whether and how comms can help it, if you're not really forensic, you're wasting money. You're wasting money and you're not going to get stuff that works. And a lot of people, it really surprises me. In, in, I don't think what happened in sort of like advertising, but in PR, objectives, and well, the, you know, people create KPIs, don't mean anything, but actually have, what is your business trying to achieve in the next three years? Okay, how do, you, how do you milestone that? Which of those things can PR influence? How can it influence it? And then how can you measure it? If you can't get that cycle, you can't do it. And that is- Well, a, I actually don't think it is massively different compared with advertising and kind of marketing because- that's one of the, the things that I often find is, is you ask the question, okay, so where are you trying to go? What are you trying to get to? What are your, your goals, your objectives? And, and there isn't necessarily always a clear answer to that. And then you ask, okay, so with that in mind, what is your expectations of your marketing, your advertising, your, you know, whatever it is you're doing? And they'll give a number that is so far removed from reality they're always going to end up disappointed, aren't they? Firstly, to take a financial brand, I've spent 20 odd years working in financial services, but, you know, you might just to paraphrase, go into see an advisory business or a bank or whatever, or whatever it may be, and they say, we want to be the most trusted brand and whatever. I'm just making it up. And they say, how do you achieve that? Get lots of press coverage. The two may have no connection. Um, how does the one follow the other? Well, if we guess... And it's like, well, there's so much assumption and, and tenuous links. And so, and what does trusted brand actually mean? And so what we, what we try and do, we often give some tough medicine to begin with, but it's also probably one of the most proud, proud moments is when you can help that light bulb go in time and then think, because by inference with the comms is if they think that's what we need to achieve, but actually these are the things that underneath that, that comms can influence to make a tangible impact, and this is how you measure it, then suddenly the light bulb, get gold, light bulb goes off, even amongst, let's say, the CFO, because they suddenly think, I get how this intangible thing can help my business. Wow. And it's like, okay, so let we've, so cut back the spending, work that out. And usually when you've worked that out and been smart about it, you realise you could probably do it for, you could do it well for, you know, not necessarily a big spend. The key thing is it fits work. And then once you've worked out your objectives, and usually sometimes before you look at the objectives, but certainly around that process, the third thing we would then do is again bring in the insight to think, understand who your customers are and what they want, what their mindset is, and how they will accept you into that circle, in that dinner party, that drink party for a discussion. Um, and unless you know, you know, it's not going on a date, isn't it? I mean, God, I don't remember that too many years ago. But, you know, before you go on a date, you do your homework. You know, what does he or she like? What's her favorite music? Da, 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 you know, whatever, whatever. Just so that you get on a good foot on that first date. It's not dissimilar to engaging with your customers. It's like understand. It's all about trust, isn't it? And it's yeah. building that up and, you know, small steps. You know, you're not going to propose marriage on a first date. 
And actually, it's very obvious. I mean, we've done a couple of big pieces of campaign work in the last year where we've literally just turned inside out the way the, uh, a client may think about stuff from what they want to say to actually communicating on their audience's terms. And it's meant the whole thing's been turned inside out because it isn't about jargon or big language and actually isn't about big budgets. Um, it's not about what they want to say. It's what your clients want to hear. And the crazy thing is a lot of it is actually, well, you could say common sense, but the irony about common sense is sometimes it's not that common, is that the way that we behave and interact individually in the real world is generally in that way. But for some reason, as soon as we get into digital or business or something like that, we think all those rules of basic human interaction go out the window. No, you're right. And actually, you realize it's all about communication. And the, the more bandwidth you have on communication, the more chance you have of make, making a client in any space look different. You know, so take, I mean, financial services is a classic example for me. I've spent many, many years working in it. And it wasn't until I started working outside it, I realized. Having worked on, you know, re certain retailers and airline carriers and stuff, that actually the problem with banks and financial advisory firms is they're all exactly the same. They all do exactly the same thing. They compare it. They compare benchmark success against their near competitors who all communicate in the big picture in exactly the same way. So all they're doing is huffing and puffing to look exactly the same. That's why none of them seem to be very different. They need somebody with an outside perspective to actually you know shine that spotlight on them because that in itself in a way it, as uh, touched on earlier it's about the, the small communities well that industry is effectively its own small community but from a again from a pure psychological point of view we kind of follow what we know i mean just look at look at young kids playing football right they'll they'll spend a hell of a lot of time you know running around sort of completely all over the place and then suddenly the ball flies and the entire team will flow towards it because they're just following the other kid that's in front of them and an example exa example of what i said actually is uh i'm not giving too much it's not a trade secret I, I i i think it may have been a bank or an investment firm i can't remember i was giving someone some advice a few years ago and they said we want to be better than the brands, you know, the closest to them in the market. So that's good. I said, really? So yeah, if we do that. And they, I said, they're not any good at PR. And they said, well, no, no, we must want to be better than them because that means we're good. And that means we will be good. So I remember I, I got some market pens out. And I gave them all the market pen. I said, right, right on the board, the brand you admire most for being a leader in the news because this was about pr and they all wrote up and they wrote virgin and apple and innocent i can't remember they wrote all these names down aa whoever it may have been and i said then i want you to write the reasons why you admire them and they said they're all they're human they're champion customers they great friends they're brave they're plain english I said right two takeouts you know exactly what good looks because you've given us the shopping list and the other thing is none of you have mentioned a brand in your sector. Right, that's your flight plan. So you've got the answers. Um, but you just got to, to your point, you just got to think as people again. Don't think as being your job in a company. Think of yourself being Graham who goes home and likes it and five girls and playing football or whatever it is, and how you think as a person, because you've got all the answers. And I think that's the role that you and I have as consultants and advisors, is actually help them remind people that actually they do have the answers. Just sometimes you need a bit of help asking the right question, and that's hopefully where people like you and I come in. You know, I think the the level of your success tends to be more more a, a result of the the quality, as you, see, as you said, the quality of the questions you ask rather than the answers that you try and give. Because if you don't ask good questions, you don't expand that ability to find creative ways to solve a problem, or just get out of your own head or your own industry or, or anything like that and i think all of this ultimately to me we're talking communication pr all that sort of stuff and i really think that it comes down to to a couple of things and and, and i picked it out from something that you said communication is another way to express leadership yeah. and it's another way to um increase your influence that comes from leadership it's not management management is very different that's the kind of shouty stuff in a way it's like right you've got to do this now 
uh, blah, 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 blah. Whereas leadership, I don't know if you've ever seen this, the, the video of, of the crazy guy that's just dancing on his own in a field and then <laughs> seven minutes later, he stood out, he did something different, the entire field is dancing. Like if you just Google that on YouTube, crazy guy in a field, and you'll see what I mean. But it's that leadership quality that comes from effectively communicating from your client's perspective. That's how you stand out. Absolutely. And I think um, it'd be interesting for you to react to this with, with your experience. I know you're doing a really exciting business, but I think there's also a thing. I mean, I know you've worked in, in big brands and stuff, but certainly where I am now, I think, I think to be a really good advisor and give the very best advice to the client, there is a certain extra dimension you get from the freedom of doing your own thing and yourself not being in a big firm, which itself is quite corporatized and therefore has goals it has to achieve. You know, you have the freedom to give the advice because the only thing you can give is the right advice and there's no reason not to do anything but to say what you think. And I think that's, I mean, to what you're doing with your, your sea world environment, as I call it. I mean, I mean, <laughs> what would your take on that be? That sometimes in smaller firms or being part of a collective group, clients can maybe expect advice that is more, that doesn't have an agenda behind it. I mean, you and I met when I was in the corporate world and we won't go into that story fully, but it was, it was a, a company run by someone who had a, a, a pretty strong hold over the, the way that the business ran and the culture and all that kind of thing. So you kind of weren't able to apply your own artistic license or creativity or, or thought or whatever. Whereas if I was advising somebody in that place, I would not be coming from the position of I'm here to serve you as a client. I would, I would have probably come from that position of I'm here to do as much as I can to keep my job. Yeah. Whereas when you, when you're sort of acting, you, you, uh, in, in this example or this, this arena, um, you know, under the sea <laughs> on my own ship, that kind of thing. Yeah. It's about having the ability to be truthful because you know that it's not going to help someone to tell them just what they want to hear. Yeah. You actually have to tell them your best advice based on your experience, what you've seen working, you know, how you've helped people in other situations similar. Maybe not exactly, but similar. Yeah. Because if you don't, if you're not the one that tells them that, they'll then put you in a box with everybody else. You become a commodity. And then it will be something that's all about low price. When even what you've said is not the best answer that's actually going to help them in the end. And I think it's all about leadership. It's about service, it's about leadership. Yeah. I think sometimes, you know, the kind of thing that we do, and I'm sure there are many in your universe of like-minded fish you know the, the thing that you do um smaller boutiques who are passionate about their, their piece of this marketing universe um i think a lot of small firms relate to that is that there is a truth whether it's marketing digital whatever you do when you're doing your take on something not just because it's a convenient job but because you believe that is the very best way for you to practice that craft then I think there's a certain magic in what you can offer. And, you put, and I think my advice to any big clients out there looking for skills is to look for a collective of you know, people like us who all have skills, you know, in their areas, but have that sense of truth and passion and belief and curiosity about what they do, and then put together their virtual agency. Because I'm much likely to get, for me, a better quality solution. I would say that, I know, but, <laughs> but, but, but I do believe it. I think that there is a thing about understanding the vision of, of a company you're going to work with or uh, the values um, of that company, because if those values don't align, then you can't, your, your relationship is pretty much doomed from the start. The way that, that I see a relationship with working with a client, it's, it's almost like, yes, you, Mr. Client, will be paying us. However, I'm not working for you. I'm working for your client. So that's why I sort of think, you know, I talk about thinking like the fish, not the fisherman. It's about understanding my client's client so well that I then enable my client to connect and resonate and lead them in a way that is profitable for that client. But it also makes a positive impact for the end client that they're 
trying to help. And then it's it's sort of that view. Yeah, yeah, completely the same. I mean, we, often we've got quite a few B2B clients and assignments on, and often what we call what we do is either B2B2B or B2B2C. It's actually our job is to help the client better understand their customers, you know. One of my learnings when my first year or two of setting a business up is, is I, I learned the lesson, which is you've got to work for clients that get you. And I, we've got to work for clients that we're right for and we can help. But you know, I remember there was this thing I, just before Christmas, I did this big tender for this big, I think it's a big insurance company. And we did a really, really good, it was a really good, it was easily theoretically, having done millions of these things before, good enough to get at the end of the very long shortlist, just because of the forensic research and everything you've done, we didn't even get through the first hurdle. I, I was really disappointed. I think it was the Christmas party. We put a lot of work. And of course, the other thing is, you know, small agency, every piece of new business you do, every tender is a bespoke piece of return. It's not off the channel. So we put a lot of work into it. And my non-exec, as my chairman, he just said dismissively, you've got to learn. They, they were never right for you. You were never right for them. They were never going to get you. You would have scared the living daylights. They weren't in the market for the kind of straight advice you give. So you've got to work for businesses that want straight advice and want the approach you do. And, and if sometimes people want an agency or advisor that is big and safe and like them and it's just going to do what they're told. And so that's the, that, that's the flip side probably we've talked about is you've also got to have the maturity to understand if people are in the market for the kind of advice you give or people in the market for straight advice or whether they want someone just to make spaghetti, you know? Yeah, exactly. And I've been on a similar journey of realization as well. I think I've said it uh, maybe once or twice on, on other podcast episodes. When I, when I first started, my, my business was really, yes, you know, can you do this? Well, yes. Uh, my ideal client was uh, anyone with a, with a heartbeat and a wallet. <laughs> that was, that was the reality. Whereas now, having gone through the experience of, of working with nice people, but just differing worldviews, essentially, and, and how things are, you always end up with a, with a clash because you're being hired for your, your outlook, your knowledge, your expertise. But if someone's not open to actually implementing it and they want to do their own sort of thing, then it becomes a really, really difficult um, working relationship. We've kind of tackled that, something we do at Elephant it's not a plug, but it's, it's actually quite a cool thing we, we've done. We do these things called experience days, which we tend to do at Christmas and in the summer. And they're really fun days. And what we basically say is that people kind of are curious about us or just curious about thinking differently. Come and have a day at Elephant. And the, the ground rules is that it's not a pitch day. These are eight or nine different things we do, very different things. Um, pick three or four of them and you can have an hour with different people in different rooms going through different things and just showing them what they do. And then you can talk about what you do and have a chat. And, and then we have a sort of a cup of tea and some biscuits at the end of the day. We take them out for lunch as well. But you get some experience there. And it's been really interesting because the things that come out for it are what I call kind of truth points. We have a wrap wash at the end of the day. And if it, sometimes it confirms for a client that what they're doing is bang on track which is great because it's almost like they kind of are looking down the lenses. Sometimes they kind of think, we really like the way you do it. And a year later, they maybe call us in to do something because they think we like the way you do it. We're not ready for it yet. But equally, there are clients that kind of think they want us, but they don't. And that's when we say to them, look, clearly you've asked questions by being here about whether you should do things right. But I can tell you straight away by the questions you've asked, we're not right for you to maybe think about some of these other firms that you might want to go and talk to because they might give you that. And that's, that's an example of true leadership. Yeah, and it's like, because we have no interest in working for a client that won't get us and we won't get them because it won't work. And it's bad business. I think that, yeah, that's a, that's a fascinating example. And, and you say they're sort of coming up around Christmas. I mean, I hate, I, uh, I, I hate using that, that word in, uh, in September, just in case I walk into a shop and hear the, the music playing. It's already, already started, but... man. It's already started. <laughs> so have you got something like that coming up? Yeah, we'll be doing some, we'll be doing some probably last week in November, first week of December. Um, I mean, you know, businesses can come together, but often we say come on your own. And, you know, it's nice. We've got, you know, we have dogs in the office and we've got nice country pubs nearby so people have a nice usually a nice friday at the office 
Well, then yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd suggest that anyone listening and, and has, has listened before um, November, um, maybe go and check out um, what Guy does. Um, elephantcommunications.co.uk is your website. Yeah, there's a contact page. Ping us an email. It all comes through to me and we'll send you a little thing. Hey, you should come too, sir. You should come too. Well, I'm, I'm already there. I've written other, down, other, uh, other consultants can be part of it. It's not just for us. It's just, a, it's just I mean, I, to be honest with you, I find it very interesting. It also... You know, it's good to keep our creative antennae out there. I find it very interesting. I always like, you know, PR. I like meeting people. And I like to, you know, we had a professional services company come in the other, well, about, it was back in July, actually, so it's a few months ago. And they were thinking and just talking. And we didn't work for them. I don't think we will work for them. But it was nice to meet them and nice for them to want to talk about broadly what some of their comms challenges were. I think we gave them some value-added thoughts and we'll probably stay in touch. I don't think we're right for them because we're not a big city firm, but it doesn't matter. You can still have useful conversations and I think they took a lot of value from it. And I think that's also part of the creative thing. If you are bouncing off people and you're all thinking better as a result, you will take that back into what you do the next day. You know, And, and, and that comes down to what really, certainly when it comes to the role of marketing, but also communication, all that kind of thing. It's ultimately there to, to start and continue conversations yeah. so that you can actually learn about somebody else and actually get to know them better. I mean, one of the, the, the benefits to having this podcast that I never really anticipated, but it's become a real benefit is having conversations with people, but also really getting, it's, it's almost like my own market research because I'm talking to people, I'm hearing their stories, I'm hearing their uh, you know, their successes, their struggles and their tips and all that kind of thing. But it's it's the kind of language that people use. It's it's all of that sort of, yeah, the ability to sort of sit and listen and actually be engaged in that conversation, which you wouldn't have the opportunity to be involved in before. You're doing exactly what we talked about earlier, which is you're listening and as, as yourself as a brand. And because you're listening, and, and but you're clearly very interested in listening at all the people in your universe and different thoughts. It again gives you a much better perspective when you give advice to people. So that's what we're saying, as I said to Pants earlier. If you're listening to the market, if you're listening to your customers and you've got your finger on the pulse, when it comes to the time where you with your business you need to give a client advice, your finger's gonna be on the button because you've done your homework. And you've got examples and you've got... Yeah, you've just listened to people. Pictures formed by listening, trends formed, things things you're hearing, listening. And that makes it real. And I think, and that goes back, I think, to what we said at the start, which is, you know, and it's my view, and people probably have different views, but my view of the world is no longer about just being on a soapbox and shouting. And I think the dangers of all this freedom of digital communication, of unregulated media and all these different ways of thinking is people can just do what sometimes the propensity for brands to think, let's just shout a bit more. Let's just get up and throw more stuff out there. And it's like, yeah, but no one's liking it. Just stop and go back to that drinks party and imagine you're joining the drinks party and you've identified five people. You want to wiggle into that little circle of having a chat. Take your sandwich board off and learn how to be accepted in the conversation. And so in that sense, nothing's changed. Nothing's changed with the media. It's always been the same. As, a, as, as my... Uh... As my granddad said, he said, you know, things will change in this world some, but people won't. As long as you understand, <laughs> as long as you understand what people, uh, you know, what people want and you, and you figure out a way to get, kind of be part of, of what they want or helping them get to what they want. It's, you know, the Zig Ziglar thing. And, and, you know, this is wisdom passed down through the years and it's not changed. People haven't changed. The way we think haven't changed. The things around us have, but ultimately we are still the same. And as long as we have that as the core, really the core around how we then go out to market, to sell, to communicate, whatever we put out, as long as we have that in the core and the center of everything, that we are still talking to other human beings until this super AI takes over the world, that's always going to be the case. There's that thing again about, about listening, about having something useful to say, and if you haven't got something useful to say, shut up. And stop trying to think of pickup lines when you could literally just walk up and introduce yourself and start a conversation. It's that drinks party again, you see? It's life is a drinks party. Um, and having said that, I can't remember the last time I went to a drinks party, but it sounds great to the man of born. But 
I think the analogy works. Absolutely. Um, so, Guy, I am I am aware that we have gone over time. I want to respect that of yours as well. If you're asking for a chat, running over is par for the course. It's it's been lovely because it has been a little been while fun. since we um, we properly caught up. It's been a great conversation, and uh, and and I hope that um, everybody eavesdropping into our conversation has enjoyed it as much as I have. Um, and just to remind um, your website is elephantcommunications.co.uk. That's the one, yeah. And you mentioned that um, small businesses, uh, you offer um, some. Yeah. So I would suggest, even if you're mildly curious, inquire about that because there's so much value that you could get from the experience that Guy and his, and as a consequence, his team have around communications and simply helping you in a, in, in a different way or maybe getting you thinking differently. Just, just go and have a look and, and get in touch. I, I, I highly, highly recommend it. So yeah, Guy, thank you ever so much for joining me. Um, all that's left to say is happy fishing. <laughs> Cheers, buddy. Thanks so much for tuning into the show today. I know there are a lot of podcasts you could be listening to, but you've chosen this one and I'm truly grateful for that. And if you've enjoyed this week's episode, I'd love if you could just take a few quick minutes to share your thoughts and leave an honest rating review for the show over on iTunes. It's not only important for helping others discover the show, but I also read each and every submission personally, and they really do mean the world to me. So thanks very much in advance and happy fishing.